0: Well, 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 welcome everybody, Happy Easter. I grew up outside of Boston, Massachusetts, so we say Happy Easter, all right? Can you attempt Happy Easter in the chat? Welcome to God Squad Church. Hey, my name is Pastor Susie. And I have the immense honor to be the preaching pastor here at God's Quad Church. So hey, whether you're joining us here in person, I think we got the biggest crowd we've ever had here right now. Can we give it up for Easter and Jesus? Let's go. Whether you're watching on Second Service, Devod, YouTube, Spotify, either way, hey, we want to say an immense thank you for joining us. Today's obviously a big day in the church world. We're celebrating that our Savior Jesus is alive. I'm so grateful that we don't serve a dead God, because I'll tell you, if he was dead, 2020 would have been a lot worse. I'm so glad that we had God, a living Savior who is with us, and today I believe you're going to be blessed and encouraged as we talk about this incredibly important topic of the resurrection of Jesus. How many of y'all have ever heard the word lore? Raise the hands. May you put the word lore in the chat. If you've never heard the word lore, essentially it means story. It's the story. Movies have it. Again, we got huge people that love lore. You got them in games. We got people like so about alchemists who are obsessed with Kingdom Hearts lore. And if you get one detail wrong, it is, it is just the end of the world, okay? We got two types of people. People like me that don't really care about the world too much. I just want to shoot people in the face. Then you got the diehard lore people, where if you get one detail wrong, we're going to sit down and I'm going to write a 37-page paper of why you are a moron, okay? Like people are obsessed with lore and the details matter. Like, the details of the lore really, really, really matter. And I've been a World of Warcraft fan for a long, long time. But i would be honest, like, I like lore, but I don't love lore. So I'm that guy that says something, and it's just like, no, bro, that's, like, completely wrong, right? And there are people who are bold enough, brave enough to call you out on it. And what I want to do is I want to show you a quick video. I've showed this before, but I want to show it from a different context of the infamous red shirt guy who went to BlizzCon a few years back, which is a convention held in California by Blizzard for all their games, World of Warcraft, Overwatch, all that good stuff. And he had the audacity to confront the developers of the game because they had made a mistake in their lore. Check it out.
1: Um, Hello. I have... I just finished reading The Shattering yesterday. And I noticed something, it said that Falstad Wildhammer was going to be on the Council of Three Hammers, but in the beta it's Kurdran Wildhammer and Falstad is not in the game at all. What happened to him?
2: Isn't Falstad dead? From uh, Day of the Dragon? No?
1: No, he survived, and in fact, he it was the leader of Aerie Peak and Vanilla Wow at, through Wrath of the Lich King. Right,
2: of course. Right.
1: Yeah, Alex, what's up with that?
2: <laughs> thanks.
0: Thanks for pointing that out. We're gonna get that fixed. Thank you. you. Bet. As you can see, sometimes the lore can get screwed up, and. Even the little details can get ruined, but the reality is the little details matter. The little details of the story, the little details of the lore matter, because if you get some of these details wrong, the whole story's off. Like the whole thing is ruined. It doesn't matter if it was just a small or big detail. If you get certain parts of the story wrong, it can disqualify the entire story. And that same principle applies to the Christian faith when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus has been debated for a very very long time. Like did it actually happen? And the reality is that if the resurrection of Jesus is fake, if it didn't happen, the whole Christian faith is out the window. All of it. It's not like, well, the rest of the Bible is good, but you know, just that one part is wrong. No, no, no you need to understand. If Jesus never actually rose from the grave, our entire faith is a lie. All of it is fake and all of it is false. Jesus was a true teacher who taught truth, and before he died, he claimed, I'm going to resurrect again. And so if he didn't, that makes Jesus a liar. That makes him a false teacher, and then when I stand up on the stage and I go, we're preaching truth. No, actually, we're preaching lies, because the whole thing is a lie. If Jesus told even one lie, then that would disqualify him from being God, which would make him just an ordinary human, which would make followers of Jesus idol worshipers. We're just worshiping a guy who has no merit and has no right to be labeled as God. If Jesus never rose from the grave, the whole book's out the window, the whole thing. It's not just like, oh, in that video, well, we we got one part wrong, but the rest of the story is good. If the resurrection isn't true, we might as well go home. There is no eternity. God's a liar and his whole book is false. And so when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, it being true and you understanding why it's true is absolutely imperative to our faith. But if I were to ask many followers of Jesus, do you believe the resurrection is true? Many of you would say yes. But if I were to ask you why, many people might not have such a clear answer. As to why do you believe that Jesus actually resurrected from the grave? And we might not be able to really dissect some solid reasons as to why he rose. And I can be honest, that was me for a long time in my life. Like if you asked me, do you believe Jesus rose? I'd be like, yep, that's what the Bible says. 100%. That's what the Bible says. But I wouldn't really be able to give you like solid answers as to why. And as followers of Jesus, many of us, we believe by faith but we might not fully, truly even understand the faith that we have. I want to read one verse that's going to lay down a preface for our entire message today to help us understand that we got to have a reason for the hope that we have. 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. So a lot of people are trying to defend the faith, but they leave out that last part of being gentle and respectful. So I want to encourage you, let's, let's just put that part back in. Let's just go ahead and put that, you know what I'm saying? Put an amen in the chat. Let's just go ahead and put that part back in. But the thing that I want you to focus on is that the author here is telling us we've got to have a reason for the hope that we have. But I know for me, for a long time in my life, and for many of us in the church world, if we are asked the reason, why do you believe Jesus rose from the grave? we might not really have too much to say. And the author is saying it is imperative that we're ready at any moment to be able to have a defense and a reason for what we believe because if you end up having a conversation with someone who doesn't believe in God, you might end up having a conversation that's gonna go like this. And we're gonna watch that same red t-shirt video again except with a few, idiots, a few edits that I put in the video this morning. Check it out again.
1: Um, hello. I have. I just finished reading *The Shattering* yesterday, and I noticed something. It said that Falstad Wildhammer was going to be on the Council of Three Hammers, but in the beta, it's Kurdran Wildhammer, and Falstad is not in the game at all. What happened to him?
2: Isn't Falstad dead? From uh, *Day of the Dragon*. No?
1: No, alive. he survived, and in fact, he was the leader of Aerie Peak and Vanilla WoW at, through Wrath of the Lich King. Right,
2: of course. Right. Yeah, Alex, what's up with that?
0: <laughs> thanks, thanks for pointing that out. We're gonna get that fixed. Thank you. I bet. I don't know about you, but I've been in that position before where people are trying to debate faith with me, and at the end of the day, I don't really have a good reason for why I believe it. Maybe some of you have been in that situation. And I point this out not to condemn, not to shame, but to bring a real truth to reality that God is calling us to have a reason for the hope that we believe. God's calling us to share our story of what we know about Jesus with other people, but the reality is we have to to understand our faith. We've got we to be able to own it and say, I know exactly why I believe what I believe. And sometimes the answer, because I have faith, is just not enough. Now, I want to be clear. Faith is very important. You cannot be a follower of Jesus without faith. There is an element that is necessary for you to have faith. Faith is believing in something greater than yourself, even if you don't fully understand it. And there are parts of the Bible that you won't be able to believe unless you just put your faith in it. Let's talk about the Trinity. The Trinity is something that you will never fully be able to like logically fully comprehend. That God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all one but three at the same time. Like it's one of those things that you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually just done trying to understand. Just gonna put my faith that it's real. There are parts of the Bible that require only faith to believe, but then there are some other parts that you don't only need faith. Because there have been some historical events that would prove that this is true. And there's some historical events that we can use to say, this part is true. It requires an element of faith. But there's also some stuff that we can prove that the Bible is true. And this is the same exact thing for the resurrection of Jesus. And what I want to do today is I want to bring a message that I've entitled, The Missing Messiah, Proof of the Resurrection of Jesus. And my goal today, very simple yet very complex, is to do my best to prove that the resurrection of Jesus is real without using the Bible as my number one source of proof. And the reason this is so important, because I know some some of y'all in the chat are like, whoa, we're not using the Bible, heretic. This is insane. We're not going to use the Bible as our proof. And the reason this is so important is because you already know that the Bible says that Jesus rose from the grave. (laughs) And the people that you talk to who don't believe Jesus is real, you can't convince them that Jesus is real by using a book that they also don't believe is real. So when you say, I believe Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible says so, that has no merit for most people who don't believe that the, that the Bible is a true point in history that can actually be trusted. And so I want to do my best today to prove that Jesus actually rose from the grave without just saying, because the Bible said so. There are elements of our lives as followers of Jesus that we got to be able to study, go deeper and know why I believe this. Because so many of us will simply use the excuse faith. I just got to believe. I just got to have faith. And that's true in some aspects. But if we're being really honest, I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we will use faith as a cop out for lazy Christianity. That I know that I I could be studying. I know that I could be researching. I know that I could be, you know, resourcing some of our pastors and asking good questions so that I can understand the Bible more, but a new Among Us map just came out, dude. So I gotta, be, I gotta be all over that, man. I ain't got time to be studying the Bible and learning more. I'm just gonna say, I got faith. It's a safe answer. You can't tell, you can't tell me to have faith or not to have faith. But the reality is, sometimes we can use faith as a cop-out for not studying the Word of God the way that God would want us to. And so here's what I want to do. I've been doing a ton of research all week. I want to give a shout-out to Lee Strobel, who wrote the book, The Case for Christ, and many other resources that I have found. And I want to do my best for you who are a Christian to equip you with a reason for the hope that you believe. And for those that are not Christian, hopefully do my best to convince you through proof that is not just the Bible that Jesus actually rose from the grave. Let's dive right in. Let's talk about first about what we do know. There are certain elements about Jesus and the whole scene that happened leading up to his resurrection that no educated scholar would debate. There's four things that, like, this is like trying to get into a room of really smart people and trying to convince them that two plus two doesn't equal four. There are four things that no scholars are debating. These are just historical fact. One, it is not debatable that Jesus lived on the earth. It is not debatable that Jesus who was a man, lived on the earth. People would argue, was he the son of God? But no educated scholar or historian would say, no, nope, Jesus never walked the earth. He was never here. No anyone with any sort of credibility would say that he didn't actually exist. Number two, no one would debate that a man who was named Jesus hung on a cross. Historical event that took place that people know who don't even believe in God, yeah, there was a guy named Jesus that hung on a cross. Do I believe he was God? No. But there was a man named Jesus who hung on a cross. Third thing, that he was placed in a tomb after his death. He was wrapped in linen, placed in his tomb. This is common knowledge for anyone among the educated scholars and historians. Jesus lived, he was hung on a cross, placed in a tomb, and the last is that three days later, the tomb was empty. This is just historical fact. This is what we do know. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, that he was a son of God, these are four things that are not debatable in the educated scholar world. He lived, he was hung on a cross, he was placed in a tomb, and three days later, somehow, that tomb was empty. Those are non-disputable, non-debatable, but now let's talk about what is debatable. Let's talk about two major factors that a lot of people would say, ah, well, what about that? That's a little sketch. I don't know if I believe that. And the two things that I want to dissect today are did Jesus really die and did Jesus really resurrect? Those four things I mentioned before, those are known, but these are where people get tripped up. One of the reasons that some people would say that did Jesus really die, like I know that he was hung on a cross, put in a tomb, but what if he, what if he just passed out? What if he just passed out and he was so, so weak that he didn't actually die, they thought he was dead, so that when they put him in the cross, he woke up and recovered from his wounds and just kind of left, right? That would explain, he he did live on the earth, they did hang him on a cross, he didn't actually die, they put a non-dead person in the tomb, and then he left. So therefore, the tomb was empty, proves all four of the things that we know, but here's why that can't be true. Because some people would argue, well, I mean, the Romans were the people who were checking these bodies. And what if they just made a mistake and they thought he was dead, but he wasn't? I mean, they're not doctors after all. And you'd be right. They were something better than doctors. They were professional killers. The Romans were people who had mastered the art for hundreds of years on how to kill people. (laughs) They had absolutely mastered the art of killing people, and the reality is they did such a good job because the working conditions were high. Because if you accidentally let someone who was supposed to be put under the law of justice survive instead of die, then you, as the executor, would be executed. So these people, they made sure, if I think someone's dead, they're gonna be dead. And if they weren't, it's... They make sure you're dead. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not going to let you get off the hook. They're going to make sure that you're dead. And even historians, they're aware of this fact. They're aware that, like, man, they didn't let anybody survive because the stakes are too high. And there's no record that somebody was punished for allowing Jesus to live. There's no record that a Roman guard and soldier was punished for the resurrection of Jesus. They have no one to put the blame on that he didn't live because they don't know if he lived or if he died. But the theory that Jesus didn't actually die goes out the window when you understand that even non-Christian scholars acknowledge that Romans would have never, they would have never, ever, ever let that happen. They had perform- perfected the art of killing. The second would be the flogging. Did Jesus actually die? If you're not familiar with the flogging, this is the whipping that Jesus endured before he went to the cross. Jesus was lashed 39 times with a whip that would have had multiple tails on the end, would have had things like glass, nails, claws of animals, and when they would whip you with it, it would even at times pull a piece of your flesh back. So the reality is, you would have undergone massive blood loss from the flogging itself. Massive blood loss that could have resulted in people dying. But I'll give it to you it doesn't guarantee that someone would die from the flogging. Is it possible that Jesus could have survived the flogging if he was never put on the cross? Yeah, it is. Medically, he could have actually recovered. Would have been close. He would have been in the ICU, per se, but he could have actually recovered. But the reason talking about flogging, even though he could have survived it, is important, is I need you to understand, Jesus wasn't just killed, he was overkilled. In those days, when people are being punished, There was really two major forms of punishment. Either you got flogged and whipped, or you got hung on the cross. But you got one or the other. Jesus got both. He got both. So when he was flogged and then brought to the cross, this is why we know from the stories that Jesus fell while trying to carry the cross because he was so weak from the blood loss that by the time he got to the cross, he was already in his way out. But just to humor some of us, could he have survived the flogging? Yes. But then we understand that the flogging is child's play, considered to what Jesus endured on the cross. The cross was something that people didn't survive in itself, never mind when you coupled it with the flogging. What I need you to understand about crucifixion is some people think that you just just died by hanging there all day long. Like, if you've ever watched the movie Passion of Christ, which, I want to be clear, I don't necessarily like to use movies as the point of proving a point, because they're not always true. But to help visualize something, if you've seen the Passion of Christ, you see Jesus hanging the cross, all bloody and beaten, but then you see the two guys next to him that really look relatively fine, besides the fact that they're hanging. They're not all messed up, they're not wearing a crown of thorns, they're not really bleeding from anywhere else except for their hands, their wrists, and their feet. And so some people think that the cross would kill you because you just... You just held there long enough. You either would bleed to death from the three puncture wounds, or you'd starve to death, whatever it might be. But people need to understand that the cross was a form of torture by asphyxiation. When you were hung on the cross, when you were hung only by these nails, when you were hung on the cross from your feet and your wrists and hands, what happened was your muscles would collapse on your lungs, Putting your lungs in the exhale position. We need to picture a balloon. then when you squeeze a balloon, all the air comes out of it, and if you keep it squeezed, there's no room for more air to re-enter the lungs. And this is what's happening on the cross. that Jesus and whoever endured this suffering would be hanging there in the exhale position. And the only way for you to get another breath would be for you to push up on the nails that are holding you, To push up, (gasps) grab a breath, and then as you go back down, your air is being exhaled because your lungs are being squished again. The balloon is being pushed. And every time you wanted to take a breath, you needed to push up on the puncture wounds, which would have been excruciatingly painful in itself, and time and time again, (gasps) (sighs) and you would hold yourself there as long as you could so you could actually hold that air in you. Because as soon as you came back down, that air was being forced back out. And essentially, people would do this over and over and over for hours and hours. (gasps) Until eventually, they would die. The cross was not a survivable event. People did not survive the cross. They could have survived the flogging, but they did not survive the cross. Maybe you won't take my word for it. Let me read a little bit to you about what the cross was like. The difficulty surrounding exhalation leads to a slow form of suffocation. Carbon dioxide builds up in the blood, resulting in a high level of carbonic acid in the blood. The body responds instinctively, triggering the desire to breathe. At the same time, the heart beats faster to circulate available oxygen. The decreased oxygen, due to the difficulty uh, exhaling, causes damage to the tissues, and capillaries begin leaking watery fluid from the blood into the tissues. This results in a buildup of fluid around the heart, known as pericardial effusion, and lungs, known as pleural effusion. This means that your lungs would begin to fill with water because of the process that I just read to you. Now, I want to read to you John 19, 34, when they were trying to make sure that Jesus was dead. John 19, 34. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Which back then, they didn't know exactly what that meant, but today, with our medical knowledge, we would call that pericardial effusion. That is not something you can fake, It is not something that just happens accidentally. It only happens from death by asphyxiation. When your lungs fill with water, and when you puncture that, that water comes out. So the Roman soldiers, they thought Jesus was already dead hanging there lifeless. But then they wanted to just double check, and this is not something that could have been survived. I want to read to you a journal article from the American Medical Association. One of the most trusted resources in the medical and science field in all of the world. I'll read this to you. Jesus of Nazareth underwent Jewish and Roman trials. And this is not a Christian journal. He, he underwent Roman trials. He was flogged and was sentenced to death by crucifixion. The scourging produced deep strike-like lacerations an appreciable blood loss, and it's probably set the stage for hypovolemic shock as evidenced by the fact that Jesus was too weakened to carry the crossbar to Golgotha. At the site of crucifixion, his wrists were nailed to the tibulum, which is just the crossbar, and after the crossbar was lifted onto the, the, uh, the post, his feet were nailed to the stipes. The major patho psychological effect of crucifixion was an interference with normal respirations. It was both stressful physically and mentally. Accordingly, death resulted primarily from hypovolemic shock and exhaustion as- asphyxia. Jesus' death was ensured by the thrust of a, uh, of a soldier's spear into his side. Modern medical interpretation of the historical evidence indicates that Jesus was indeed dead when he was taken down from the cross. People will try to explain away that Jesus never had to resurrect because he never died in the first place. Here we have one of the most trusted voices in all the world, in the both medical and science field, who do not believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, but they do believe he was dead. I don't know if he's God, I don't know about none of that, But I know for a fact, medically and scientifically, Jesus was dead. So Jesus couldn't have faked a resurrection by faking his death. He was actually dead. But just because Jesus is dead doesn't prove that he resurrected. I'll give you that. It doesn't. There's so many other things that we could explain away. Well, okay, Jesus died. And the body's missing, but that doesn't mean that he supernaturally rose from the grave. Remember, we're answering two questions. Did Jesus really die? We just answered it. Scientifically, from non-Christian sources, the most trusted medical sources in the world, Jesus was dead. Flat out dead. But that doesn't mean he really rose from the grave. So let's talk about that. A few things that I want to debunk as to why people would say, okay, Jesus was dead, but he didn't really resurrect from the grave. First, we see that his Roman enemies, even they admitted that the tomb was empty. Even they would admit, oh, we done oofed. Something went wrong because Jesus, he's not where we put him. He's not in his grave. And if even his enemies are willing to admit that the tomb was empty, why would they lie about something that is against their own case? The reality is they had more power and authority than just Mary who's trying to go around and tell a story, right? They would have just, just shut Mary up, right? Put some caution tape around the tomb. No one can go in and see for yourself. And we'll just tell people, even though I know it's empty, we'll tell people that it's not empty and they'll have to take our word for us because we're big and powerful. But they didn't. They were like, yeah, I'm not gonna lie, it's empty. It's empty. I don't really know what to do with that, but it's empty. But I'll give it to you again. The tomb being empty still doesn't prove that Jesus rose from the dead. It just means that the tomb is empty. So many things that people could try to explain away as to why the tomb was empty, but it doesn't prove that Jesus rose from the grave. Another thing that historians and scholars will use as an argument for this is the death of the disciples. I want you to understand that after Jesus rose from the grave, his disciples went around teaching and preaching that Jesus rose from the dead. And the thing is, because they continued to preach, many of them were killed for their faith. Many of them were killed for their faith. But you might be thinking, well, I mean, a lot of people die for their faith. Even in different religions that happens, and you would be correct. But people die for things that they hope are true. They don't die for things they know are a lie. You see, one of the excuses And the arguments that people will say that the tomb was empty is to say, well, in the middle of the night, the disciples probably went in there, took Jesus' body, and hid it somewhere, and then boom, voila, next day, the tomb's empty! He has risen! Right? There's so many arguments that you could make to say that the disciples just kind of pulled a fast one on everyone, and all of a sudden claiming Jesus alive. But the reality is, when you take them all the way to the end of their life, even scholars would agree... If the disciples were lying, and they knew Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, and all they did was kidnap him, they would have put it up for quite some time, but then when push came to shove, when they were about to be killed for their faith, they'd have been like, whoa, okay, sorry, guys, like, I was just messing around, just trying to pull a fast one on you, but I'm not giving my life for something I know is a lie. Like, people don't go that far. Even non-Christian scholars would agree, yeah, I mean, you gotta be a whole other level of crazy to die for something you know is a lie. But i give you this. Some people are probably that crazy. (laughs) Some people are probably that level of crazy. But scholars have a harder time believing this because there wasn't just one disciple who was crazy enough to do it. There was a dozen disciples and even more people who they knew and believed in their heart that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and the chances of not even one of those people being like y'all can die but i'm not doing this like i know we like had a conversation and we formed a little cult and we were like we're all going to die for it i know we had that talk but like y'all do it i'm out the chances of not even one of those people saying i changed my mind is so incredibly unlikely people don't die for things that they know are a lie They're willing to die for something that they hope is true, but they're not willing to die for something that they know is a lie. But I give it to you. It still doesn't really prove much. It it might be a good argument. It's like, oh, that that sounds reasonable, but it doesn't prove that a man rose from the dead. There's some other arguments that people would say. Some would call it the legendary hypothesis. And this would be that the story of Jesus rising from the dead was just a legend that people made up. Man, hundreds of years later, people just started saying some stuff that Jesus really rose from the grave. But man, they weren't even really around to see it. This is just a legend. And we don't have any documentation from that time to really prove that it wasn't. So it's just a legend. But the issue why historians will even say this goes out the window is because we do have documentation dating back to three months after the resurrection of Jesus that would show us that this isn't some story hundreds of years later that people are trying to debunk. That's why even scholars and historians will not use the Quran as a credible source to debunk the resurrection of Jesus because the Quran was written over six centuries after the resurrection of Jesus. And even historians would say, I like my sources to be from people who were actually there, not just some legend Later in life, it's happening. 600 years after I die, if I did something good in the world, and all of a sudden, 600 years later, some guy's like, nah, it never happened. It's not exactly the most credible of sources. But what is credible is that we have over 5,000 manuscripts. The New Testament has more credible manuscripts of its original text, which is exponentially more than any other documentation ever written in history. Over five thousand copies still in existence today, that would show us that over that over five hundred people saw Jesus risen from the dead, and it wasn't just stories that people were talking about later. Not just some legend. These were people that were actually there. Three months documents have been found of people that were actually there to see Jesus alive after the resurrection. And remember, we've already debunked, he was dead. So if Jesus is walking around, it's because he's resurrected. The Bible tells us that over 500 people saw Jesus. Over 500 people at one time saw Jesus alive. And this is historical. We know that this took place, but then we try to explain it away. And some of the things that people would explain away, they would call it the swoon theory. That, oh, they i all just hallucinated didn't actually happen. They were all being really, really hopeful that it happened. But all 500 of those people, they were just having a hallucination. But medical doctors, brain experts, and psychologists argue that's just not physically possible for 500 people to have the exact same hallucination. That's like going to a friend and saying, hey, did you like that dream I had last night? Like it just, it just it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't make any sense. And even brain experts, they would argue, I don't believe Jesus was the son of God, but the soon theory is out the window. It's just out the window. 500 people at one time saw Jesus alive and well with the scars and the things that proved that he was beaten, that this is the same Jesus who was killed on the cross and when 500 people see a man walking on the earth who we know medically was dead and they are able to see him you're left with only one conclusion that they saw Jesus alive after he died because he did indeed erase from the dead Because he did indeed show the world that he is God, that he is greater. If they're not hallucinating, that means it's real. And they are actually seeing Jesus in the flesh. They're not being bamboozled. They're not being tricked. We have over 5,000 copies that would tell you from three months after the event took place, people were already spreading the story that Jesus had risen. That Jesus was actually alive. And here's the deal, there is so much more evidence that we could go over to debunk the fact that Jesus actually did rise. There's so much we could talk about as what people say as to why they think it's fake, and so much more we could say as to why it's real. But the reality is, even after I've shared all of this, there are many of us who still will make a decision not to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And I want to be clear. Our church will love you no matter what. We will serve you. You are always welcome. We might disagree, but we love to love people who disagree with us. But there's two questions that I I really want to ask every single one of us. If you're here and you're still skeptical about the things that I've laid out and that people who are a lot smarter than I am have laid out for proof of the resurrection of Jesus that is more than just saying because the Bible says so and we still won't believe it. The question that Lee Strobel asks is when will enough proof be enough proof? When will it be enough proof? When will there be enough proof to help us make a decision that historically and medically Jesus died and rose again, and it is up to you to make a decision in your heart that for what I've seen and heard, that Jesus really did die, and he really did rise again. But the second question that I want to ask you is because I know after all this, you've got so many thoughts going through your mind to debunk what we're talking about, and you want to try to throw down the fact that I want to do my best to prove that Jesus is alive, Here's the question that I would ask you. If you don't believe that Jesus is alive, can you prove to me that he's still dead? Can can you prove to me that Jesus is still dead? Because I can promise you, with all due respect, that you can't. You cannot prove to me that Jesus Christ is still dead. For thousands of years, scholars haven't been able to do it for thousands of years historians haven't been able to do it and i want you to understand this last principle i believe that all people have equal value doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter what you've been through doesn't matter the color of your skin everyone has equal value but i want to i want to mention something that i think you'll agree with me when it comes to the government and police officials they do not treat every individual with equal importance like if the president of the united states go missing no one sleeps until he's found but like if my friend from high school goes missing, you know, they're gonna look for him for a little while. Then eventually they would call it the case has gone cold. They're just not gonna put in the time, the energy, the resources to find my friend from high school. Although I might love my friend from high school, that's just how the world works. They're not gonna go in a 15-year search to find my buddy from high school, but they'll do it for the president of the United States. They'll do it. They'll invest the resources, they'll invest the time. And what I need you to understand is that Jesus, to the Roman officials and to the world who hate God so much, they are willing to put in the time, the resources, and the energy to prove that Jesus is dead by finding his body. They would do it. They just haven't been able to. For thousands of years, I can't tell you how many people wish they just found Jesus' body. How many scholars would say, yeah, be honest, uh, things would be a lot easier if we just found his body. And we've been searching for a long time, just haven't been able to find it. And so I'd ask you again, I respect the fact that you might think I can't prove to you that Jesus is alive. But you also can't prove to me that Jesus is dead. And I'll be fully, fully honest with you. Wherever, Wherever every one of us is Followers of Jesus or non followers of Jesus, wherever you land, whether you believe Jesus is still dead or that Jesus is alive, if we'll be honest, there's an element of faith that is needed to fall on either one. There's an element of faith that is needed for you to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But then, even after all the evidence of proof, you still need an element of faith to believe that all that's not true. There's an element of faith needed. Both parties need to take a leap of faith to land on their conclusion. And so my question is, which one will you leap towards? Will you leap towards the conclusion that Jesus is dead? Which means that life has no meaning. That means that you and I have no purpose. Which means that you and I literally exist for nothing. We were created by nothing. We have no designer we have no creator, we have no destiny, we have no purpose, and all of this is just time spent until we all live in a black hole for all of our eternity. Or, will you leap towards what I hope you will? The truth that Jesus is alive, that he is risen from the dead, which means that he is God and God Almighty, which means that I do have a purpose which means that I do have value. Somebody has placed value in you and into me and that although this life is rough, I can have a hope. I have a reason for the hope that I have. And when I die, I will spend it in eternity forever and ever and ever with my savior who is alive. I don't know about you, but I like that option a little bit better. I don't know about you, but if it requires faith to jump to either party, I'm jumping to Jesus as alive. Not that Jesus is dead. And I pray that today, you'll jump to that conclusion. I pray that you'll jump to the one that you have the ability to serve a good God who loves you, who wants to be there through every aspect of your life, who died to forgive you of your sins, the one who can give you purpose, peace, and joy, the one who can carry you through the deepest struggles of your life. I pray that you'll put your faith in that versus the other one. I pray that today, as a follower of Jesus, you've been equipped with a reason, multiple reasons for the hope that I have, so that when we talk to those that don't believe in God, we don't end up like the game developers talking to the red shirt guy. I don't really know, I just got faith. Faith is part of it, but it's not all of it. And I pray today for those that are here that maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. I pray that you too have been given a reason for you to finally believe. Because here's the deal. If Jesus really died, which he did, and if he really rose from the grave, which he did, then that means that Jesus is really God. And if Jesus is really God, then he's worth giving my entire life to. Everything that we believe falls on the truth of the resurrection being real. And because it is, it's my joy and my honor to serve Jesus Christ as my king who did what no one else has ever been able to do. Rising from the dead showcasing that hell couldn't stop him, the grave couldn't keep him, and sin wasn't strong enough to defeat him. He is God, which means he is worth serving. Why do you give your life to follow Jesus? Because he rose from the dead, making him worthy, making him someone that I can put my trust in. And I challenge you today that as we've laid out some of the many, many reasons to believe that Jesus is alive, I pray that today, you will put your trust in Jesus Christ. But now that I've done my best to prove the resurrection is real without using the Bible, I want to read to you a beautiful passage of Scripture from the Bible. Final Scripture before we end our time together. Matthew 28, 1 through 6. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven going to the tomb. He rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here He has risen just as he said that he would. Jesus didn't just resurrect from the grave. He knew beforehand that he would. He's got plenty of reasons for you to believe that he is God. And I don't know about you, but he knew his own future, and he knows mine. He knows yours, and he gave his life on the cross to save you from your sins. But he didn't just die for you. He rose for you too. The God that we're talking about, he is alive and active and involved in our day-to-day if you'll invite him. And the Bible says that it is very, very simple. That whoever believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. You don't need to do as much research as I've done this week and learn as much as I've learned before you can become a follower of Jesus. You can become a follower of Jesus right now. Right now, by choosing to put your faith and trust in Jesus, because I pray that your heart has been awakened to the reality that Jesus is God, that he is alive, and that he is worth serving. And my prayer for you, for those that are followers of Jesus, I pray that you've been equipped with reasons for the hope that you have. But I pray that your heart has been overwhelmed with gratitude. That we serve a real God. We're not just hopeful. I'm just like, yeah, man, I hope it's true, but when I die, I guess I'll really find out. No, no, no. He's alive. And I want to take a minute together, you and I, just to thank him. Just to thank him that he's real. Just to thank him that he's risen. We're not talking about some old history book, we're talking about God. So I want to invite you today as followers of Jesus to join me in a word of prayer where we're just literally say thank you to Jesus. Easter is a celebration. Jesus has risen. I say Jesus has respawned. Come on, somebody put an amen in the chat and the YouTube comments below. Jesus is alive. And because of that, I will worship him and honor him. So together, let's pray. God, we just thank you. thank you so much that we're not just a bunch of crazy people. Thank you, God, that you are alive, that you're active in our day-to-day. If we will invite your presence into our lives, God, there you will be. And I just, God, today, want to posture all of our hearts in a position of praise to you to say thank you, Jesus, that you're alive. Thank you that, God, we're not serving a dead God who's unaware, uninvolved, and incapable of doing anything about it, even if he was alive. Thank you, that Jesus, that you're stronger. Thank you, that Jesus, you have risen from the grave. And today we've come to worship and to honor you and to magnify the name of Jesus. We give our lives to follow you. Because you rose, our life, God, you deserve it. And so on this Easter weekend, we just say thank you thank you. Thank you, Jesus, like Amanda's saying, for the blood applied that cleansed me from my sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you saved my life. But thank you also, God, that you rose again, because if you didn't, the whole thing is out the window. And so today, God, we honor you, and we bless you, and we magnify you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Real quick, friends, can we just As followers of Jesus, take a second to give God praise and thanks for what he has done for you and I. He has saved us. He has redeemed us. And as followers of Jesus, we have a reason to celebrate. But if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, God wants you to have the same reason to celebrate. That you've been forgiven. That you've been changed. And what I want to do today is I want to give you an opportunity to become a follower of Jesus by simply saying this prayer with me. What you're doing is you are confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you acknowledge that he's risen from the grave, and you're allowing Jesus to forgive you of your sins in beginning a new life like I talked about that has purpose and value and serving a good God. And if that's you, I want to invite you to repeat these words after me as you make a decision to say yes to follow Jesus. Pray this with me. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me. And I ask you today, God, to forgive me of all of my sins and to be my Lord and Savior. Today, God, I confess that you rose Jesus Christ from the dead. And from this day forward, I commit my life to following you and to serving you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies and gentlemen, will we put some Jesus hype in the chat and congratulate those that are saying yes to follow Jesus? Praise God.
2: Hey, congratulations to those of you that have just made that decision to follow Jesus Christ. Maybe it was your first time or maybe you rededicated your life. We want to celebrate with you and congratulate you. And hey, if you did just make a decision to follow Jesus Christ or once again, just rededicated your life, I want you to do something brave. I want you to do something bold right now, okay? Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we are unashamed to follow him. And if you just made that decision, I want you to put a yes in the chat. We wanna see you and we wanna be able to see who you are so we can celebrate with you we don't want to just like put the spotlight on you or call you out or anything but we want to celebrate that that the fact that you have just made a life-changing decision so for those of you that are putting yes in chat or maybe you're putting a yes even in the comments under the video and youtube hey we want to congratulate you and if you guys want to and there's going to be a link in the chat and in in the information called the next level link and if you did make that decision i i encourage you Click on that link. It will send you to a form that we ask you to fill out with as much information as you feel comfortable giving. This is going to be able to give us a way to be able to connect with you, to give you some resources. A lot of people, they don't understand the decision that they just made in their lives. Sometimes they, they make this decision. And they're like, okay, I understand it's a big decision, but I don't know where to go from here. When do I get baptized? How do I get baptized? What is that all about? How do I pray? Where do I start reading in the Bible? And things like that. We want to be able to, be able to give you those resources and be able to talk to you and walk with you alongside you as you just made an important decision and congratulations again and hey this is the reason why we do what we do here at God Squad Church. It's because of your faithfulness and generosity that we're able to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ every single week to people all around the world and continue doing everything that we do here, whether it be at the physical location, Squad Con, other things that we do. And so we want to thank you for your faithfulness and generosity. And there's, if you've never given before at God Squad Church, I want to let you know there are multiple safe and secure ways that you can give. You can go to the panels below and click on the give link. You can also go to our website, and you can customize it to any way you see fit, whether it's weekly or monthly, however you want to give. And then finally, you can also use Text to Give by texting any amount to the number 84321. But no matter how you're giving, we thank you so much for giving to God Squad Church, and remember, every penny counts.